Okay, here we go again. So a little adjustment this morning. Um, John Notabartalo, our president, is going to give our next presentation. He works with Johnny Woodson and gives the same talk. So we're going to see the same thing. Um, please welcome John Notabartalo. Thank you. Thank you, Renee. Thank you all for uh, sitting through this uh, quick change. Uh, Actually, I stand in for Dr. Johnny Woodson quite often. We've been working together since 1999. I was hired with the group uh, here in Las Vegas. So again, welcome to my town. Uh, this is uh, the, 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 the happiest place on earth if you're over the age of 21. So uh, we're going to talk, speaking of, we're going to talk about genital dermatology or, oh, by the way, because this is always the add-on. It's never the reason why the patient comes in to speak to you, is it? Um, I did this presentation for the California Academy of PAs uh, last year, and I had a different subtitle on it there. Uh, just to give you an idea, we, we called it uh, then the, the, the funk on your junk. So there are many jokes we can make about genital dermatology, but these are the patients that come in and they are so worked up. They are worried. I, I, I got this thing. I, you got to look at it. So you, you look at it. So let's talk about it. There we go. Okay. Disclosure statement. Uh, I speak for Valiant. I speak for Leo. Uh, I also speak for Jansen. That's not up there. So this was my, uh, uh, my boss's slide. And we're probably not going to cover many of those drugs uh, in this lecture. Uh, so we're going to talk about the relevant physiology, what makes this area more unique. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the common problems and some of the uncommon things. And of course, the emergencies, the things that when it walks into your office and you see it, you say, uh, we're, going to, we're going to get you an ambulance and get you on out of here. So the stuff that really needs to be seen uh, by uh, someone else. So, genital skin, what do we consider genital skin? Well, we're looking at uh, the genitalia, penis, vulva, outer anus, and perianal perineum, buttocks, and also the upper thighs, uh, anything that is covered by a pair of running shorts. Well, depends on who's running. Uh, and why is this skin different? Why do we, con why do we consider it differently? Uh, it's very responsive to adrenaline gonadal stimulation. It's also very, very steroid responsive. It's thinner, more sensitive, and because of that area, the heavy occlusion of that area, it may make it harder to make a diagnosis. You're going to look at it and see something that you've seen a hundred times before present differently, and we're going to see a few of those. Right? So always start with a strong differential. This is the place to remember those zebras. This is the stuff that you, know, uh, you remember from school. This is a good place to remember it or to look it up. Uh, and get a, uh, always get a fungal culture or a KOH. You know cultures never really work out well. Uh, I get false negatives more than 50% of the time. And not all genital rashes are fungal, although most primaries will treat it that way. Don't you love that beta-methasone-ketoconazole combination that every one of these patients comes in on? Uh, I've been using this for three months. It's not getting any better. Okay, thanks. Let's stop that. And when it doesn't work out the way that you think from what you diagnosed, make a hole. Take a biopsy. 
Okay, so we're going to start out with, uh, this is a little dusky, got a little bit of uh, raised border on it. I don't know how good my, my laser is here. Uh, not very apparently. Uh, there we go. So we got a little bit of raised board, a little bit of scale. Presentation all through the genital area. Um, just as a clue, we would actually, uh, if you shine a woods lamp on this, it, it may turn an interesting color. Uh, we also have some flake and scale prevalent here on the buttocks. And uh, we're starting off with tinea. Because, well, although not everything is fungal, sometimes uh, some things are. So, because uh, fungus is fungal. Uh, we do see it. We do see it quite a bit. And we always see it treated differently by our primary. Um, how do we know it's a fungus? It's going to itch. First and foremost, these patients are going to say, this itch drives me crazy. All right, it's going to be salmon colored or hyperpigmented. We're going to have some of that uh, that purplish blue sometimes and darker hued skins. Uh, we're going to see that, that duskier color. Uh, raised border, the advancement of the fungus. You're going to see that border raised. If, the raise, if there isn't a raised border there, if it's just a complete plaque, we may want to rethink our diagnoses. Uh, flake or scale, what is our number one pathogen? Uh, right there, T. rubrum. And it is more common in moist climates. Does that mean I don't see it here in Las Vegas? Uh, of course not. I do see it here in Las Vegas. We have uh, a lot of folks who, who work out here, very, uh, very popular uh, um, fitness culture uh, on the West Coast. So you're going to see it uh, from folks hanging out at the gym and things like that. And also uh, secondary bacterial infection and lichenification, especially if it's been going on for a long time. Check the hands and feet. Look at the scalp. Quite often, these patients are going to have this fungus in more than one place because fungus does like to spread. And once it finds a host that is amenable, it's going to try and hang around, all right? And treat everything simultaneously. If it's less than 2 to 3% of body surface area, just in the groin or just on the buttocks, genitalia, um, you can use a topical agent. Uh, if you also have it inter... Uh, 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 in the axillas, uh, you can also use topicals there. Um, but once we get into larger body surface areas, uh, you really want to get into oral medications. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the terbinafine 10 day. One pill once a day for 10 days. Um, I usually don't do liver function tests if I'm running terbinafine for less than two weeks. I just make sure the patient doesn't have any pre-existing conditions, uh, no liver damage ahead of time. Okay, and also talk to them about prevention. You know, how do we prevent this from happening? Well, keep the area dry as much as possible. Um, do not over dry, do not over clean, um, because then you're gonna set yourself up for failure. Barrier maintenance, I talk a lot about barrier maintenance with my patients, especially here in this climate. So. All right, so now let's look at something a little different. No raised border, all pretty much red throughout, to trigum. Well, what's the difference between fungus, tinea, and intertrigo? Well, you can have uh, both occurring on the same patient. And sometimes intertrigo will lead to a fungal infection. 
often you have the, uh, the heavier patient or the elderly patient that comes in with the sagging skin folds and have intertrigo with the co-committant fungal infection. And all they're given is ketoconazole by their primary, and that's what they keep feeding them. And they never remove uh, or treat the intertrigo itself. That's going to be red and burning. Sometimes it's going to be pruritic, but the burn is the number one thing that they're going to complain of. Um, it's going to be weeping because of the maceration going on there. And sometimes you may actually see pustules in the area. Uh, of course, diabetes, uh, heavy, heavy people, and elderly people are the, uh, the ones we're going to see it most frequently in. Um, Burroughs solution. Dilution of vinegar. This is one of my favorites. I tell the patients to go home. Once we've gotten rid of any co-committant infection, I tell them to take uh, white vinegar and 50-50 with clean water, make a solution, get a face cloth, get it damp, and for 15 minutes, put it in that area. Then take the face cloth away, let the area dry. Throw on a fan. And then we can use some topical drying solutions, a good cornstarch, baby powders, things like that, things that are going to keep the area drier. But that vinegar actually soothes the skin and uh, it stops the intertrigo from coming back. It's less frequent that way. So, and uh, usually when we have this going on in an area and you see a fungal infection, it's not T. rubrum, it's usually candida that shows up there. This is something uh, we see a lot of, and it can be genital or it can be uh, other areas. Here we see the moon over, uh, oh, sorry, wrong, wrong photo, I thought it was uh, vacation shots. Um, but we can see the, the pustules, the little bumps uh, coming up uh, there along the scrotum. And uh, like all things that happen in Vegas, uh, they don't always stay in Vegas. So uh, sometimes uh, they spread. Uh, areas have a tendency to co-mingle. And uh, we see on these, very distinctive, uh, we have small one to two millimeter papules with, uh, some of them have some slight umbilication on them. And this is, of course, molluscum contagiosum. Who are the people that are at greatest risk for molluscum? Uh, anybody with very dry skin. You know, barrier, barrier, barrier. That is number one thing to push with the patients in drier climates because they're going to be miserable unless they establish that barrier. They're going to get anything and everything and come into your office with it. Uh, I see molluscum frequently in kids, but we do see it in adults. I've had several adults come on in with the genital molluscum presentation. Uh, so it's very contagious, uh, hence the name contagiosum. I like to, when I get kids who come in with this, usually not presenting in these areas, but uh, I'd say it's like a, a Harry Potter curse. Somebody walked past you with a wand and said, molluscum contagiosum, and you broke out with all these little things. All right, bad humor, but it goes over big in a seven-year-old, I've got to tell you. All right, and uh, it, it's something as easy as, as passing a towel around. You know, the kids are, and, and people are going to spread this very easily. Now, when you see molluscum on the genitalia of a child, do you think immediately of calling CPS? And the answer is no. Because kids will spread their own molluscum. 
they will scratch the spot there, and then they will scratch the spot there, and they will naturally scratch the spot there, and they'll have them everywhere. So, and they present anywhere on the body. A short blast of LN2 depends on what the patient will tolerate in the area uh, and how many are there. So, uh, canthrodin, I love using canthrone on this. This is one of the, uh, uh, the easiest things to use canthrone on. Just a little dot on each, leave it uncovered, wash it off in an hour. If you leave it longer than that, or you put more than that, or if you cover it, you can get big blisters. So, amiquimod, great take home. And uh, of course, uh, the over-the-counter compound W, salicylic acids. Uh, Self-limiting, one of my favorite things. I always wanted to, going through PA school, one of my goals was to actually uh, go and specialize in self-limiting diseases. But uh, unfor unfortunately, that, that would be a very popular specialty. But, uh, and as I said, good, good skin barrier, best protection, the best. All right, so now let's talk a little different. Uh, we have some nice plaques coming up there. Uh, very scalloped looking. Some erythema. Here we have some discrete lesions scattered about. Of course, diffuse everywhere. And this is condyloma. Now, if you see condyloma on the genitalia of a child, yes, you call CPS. Because that, they don't spread by themselves. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, you can see one of them. You can see huge plaques of them. The patients will present in varying states. You can have contact uh, primarily and still on uh, genitalia and still get it anally without anal contact. So it will, the virus will spread to that skin occasionally. Um, and it is HPV. It can cause a squamous cell. I've had two patients who have had a history of HPV that have been treated who showed up five years later with squamous cells in the same exact sites. So be aware of that. Let the patients know that they have to take a look and uh, they're at higher risk. Um, I actually had one guy who came in, a uh, retired military guy, uh, like me, but <laughs> unlike me, um, he had, when he was younger, he said, well, he comes in to see me. He's in his, his late 60s, and he comes in and says, I have, I had warts back when I was in the military, and they're back. And he drops his pants, and suprapubic is a two and a half centimeter crusty plaque with this wildly erythematous base on it. And I looked at it, and I'm like, eh, that's not a wart. And of course, it was a squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, this guy got a tummy tuck. I was, that was one of my favorite surgeries, 14 centimeters, side to side, by the time we took that whole thing out. So um, it looked great, though. Anyway, almost, almost like a C-section scar, that low. Anyway. Uh, but 65% transmission rate. So does it spread? Not always. Um, enough to make you worry, though. And uh, it can take up to eight months. So again, what happens here doesn't always stay here. Uh, it can go home with you and show up at just the most unfortunate moments. Uh, they're never painful. 
and uh, they only bleed if they're irritated. Now, sometimes they are very difficult to see. And, you know, as much as I like treating my patients, I don't want to get that close. So you can use an acetic acid solution, uh, acetyl white. It'll light them up, make them a whole lot easier to visualize, a whole lot easier to treat. And how do you treat? Well, of course, uh, something when back when I was in the military, we used to call punitive medicine, uh, LN2. <laughs> Freeze them. Yeah, that'll cheat you. Um, Podophilin. Uh, don't use a lot of that anymore. Um, more often, I will send them home with uh, imiquimod and uh, three times a week. Now with the new uh, imiquimod dosing, the, the 2.5, you can actually use a QHS. Uh, you don't have to skip the every other night. So, and uh, electrosurgical destruction. Um, you can burn them off, um, but be aware that HPV does survive being cauterized, and it aerosolizes. So there have been cases of clinicians developing condyloma inside their mucosal surfaces, nose, mouth, eyelids. Not something I'd like to explain. So always wear a mask and, uh, when you're, when, if, if you are going to treat that way. So here we have a solitary lesion. Non-painful, slightly eroded. Might have heard of it before. There's another one, just one. And by the way, it doesn't always show up as just one. I've actually, it was great, I had a student with me and the patient had three of them. And they were like, well it can't be because there's three of them. I was like, they didn't read the textbook. Primary syphilis. Making a resurgence in this country. Woohoo! Glad to hear something's making a comeback around here. Primary syphilis, we see it a lot, especially in somebody else who has other uh, STDs. Always test. Uh, infection with the spirochete. Uh, the chancre is the single painless indurated genital ulcer. Um, as I said, atypical presentations can occur. You can see it in clusters. Um, I have, and uh, I'll tell you what, practicing in Las Vegas is a very interesting uh, group, but anyway. Uh, regional lymphadenopathy, they are going, since this is a true infection that's going to go systemic, uh, they are going to have lymph nodes up. So you're going to check the inguinal nodes and you're going to feel them. Uh, HIV increases the risk of complications, so it can progress much faster. Um, there is actually an infectious disease doctor here in town that I wave flags and tell patients to stay away from because he sent me a patient who was covered in these, these reddish-brown spots. And he said, go see a dermatologist. And this guy comes in and sees me. As I'm looking through his history, he's got HIV. And I said... Well, I'm going to biopsy this, but I'm also going to start you on doxycycline, 100 milligrams BID. I'm going to do that for a month. And I wrote a nasty letter to the ID. Why did you send me somebody with secondary syphilis? He doesn't get much business around here anymore. So uh, we can treat a single shot. Give him penicillin. But how many people keep penicillin in their office? Uh, I don't. So 
Um, oral doxycycline, 100 milligrams BID for 21 days. Easy to treat. They just got to come in and, and, and be identified. Uh, you can do azithromycin, uh, the two gram dose times one. I just saw something out, and I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to update these slides. Uh, CDC is saying that there are, uh, actually we're seeing syphilis that is resistant to that single dose regimen. So, uh, stay with doxy, it's easy. All right, we have some spots all throughout. Here on the penis, erosions, some raised pink areas, and HSV. One or two, we know that those things have uh, crossed. We used to traditionally say HSV1 oral, HSV2 genital. Um, things aren't quite that clear cut. Uh, first outbreak usually occurs shortly after inoculation, just like any other virus. And uh, you may or may not have all of these systemic symptoms, but they usually do have some type of viral uh, symptom that comes up. They're going to be sick, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, the rash comes up, and they show up as blisters the first time, and the first outbreak is usually the worst one that they will see. And you get to tell that patient uh, that they have herpes. Now, uh, what, what's the difference between uh, true love and herpes? Uh, herpes lasts forever. So, just kidding. I've been married 25 years. I have true love, so anyway. Uh, 25 years and uh, two months. So, and, but the outbreaks that we will have later usually won't have all the viral that goes along with it. They'll just have the spots come up. And they'll be uh, less painful, uh, more weepy, and uh, they are contagious. So, but you treat them with uh, oral antivirals. Different ways to treat, uh, depending upon which insurance plan they're on. Uh, we all know how we have to play that game. Uh, we have the uh, famcyclovir dosing regimen, which I don't particularly care for. Uh, acyclovir, this is what I get most of my uh, HMO patients come in. They need to be on uh, acyclovir. But my personal favorite when I dose, uh, I love valcyclovir. I love Valtrex. Uh, or Valtrex name brand, Valcyclovir is your generic. The thing that I love about this is just how easy it is um, to dose. You know, two grams BID, uh, once they start getting, uh, you know, after you've been through the initial treatment, if they feel the prodrome coming on, and you can do this for oral herpes as well, uh, just two one gram tablets twice a day, times two dose, or time, well, it's two doses. One dose, 12 hours later, your second dose, and it usually cuts down the prodrome, and it does not flare. So sometimes I'll, I'll tell them if you need to, if you're still having the prodrome, having a little bit of a tingle, you can go on to the third dose. Uh, the thing the patients don't like about it is the pills are about as big as the tip of my pinky, so they're, they're pretty large. But, um, and of course, uh, there are ways of prevention. We talk to our patients about that and, and other STDs that they can possibly uh, end up with. Okay, here we have some hyperpigmented macules scattered around, right there on the shaft of the penis. 
and even up on the corona. Would you biopsy this? Ah, that's the question. Do you biopsy it? Because if you biopsy it, you'd find out that it's a benign condition. But do you know that until you biopsy it? And which one do you biopsy and how many do you biopsy? And this is where it gets interesting. Uh, they are just lentigenes. And my feeling is with my patients, if they do have them orally, and you do see them scattered around genitally, I'm less likely to biopsy than if it is a single lesion. If it is a single lesion that came up later in life, I'm going to be more aggressive with it. Um, like I said, if it's usually few and localized, if it's solitary lesion, I may take a piece. Um, asymptomatic, they're not going to feel anything. Uh, it's a lentigo. And uh, you want to work them up with uh, uh, for, for Peutz-Jäger syndrome because that can uh, be indicated by uh, these lentigenes, the melanocytic macules. See a little raised erythematous area there? Kind of more blistery looking, right? Looks like it should be painful. Fixed drug eruption. Fixed drug eruptions occur most often on the genitalia and uh, can be, it can look like EM. It can present with that red, raised, beefy look uh, and can blister. Um, primarily extremities, face, and genitalia and, wow, the same spot every time. And these are our common drugs that cause fixed drug eruptions. So usually when you see something like this and you treat it and it goes away and it comes back after you stop treating it, ask the patient or review their history and check for specifically these medications. It can happen with many, but these are the ones that we see most often, okay? Treat, truly stop taking the drug. If it hurts when you go like that, don't go like that. Um, and clean the area with mild cleansers, oral antihistamines, stop the itch and the inflammation that they're going to be feeling from itching, and uh, mid to mild steroids. This is one of my favorites. See a lot of this. This picture, I had a patient come in who was 22 months old, covered with little erythematous scaly patches, slightly raised. Mom and dad are both in the room, and I'm looking at the kid, and I'm like, ah, you know, he looked a little dry. I felt, you know, there was, there was a little bit of flake on his legs. I'm saying, all right, well, uh, it can just be eczema. You know, he was sick recently, so it can be just a, a viral exanthem. We're going to go easy, some, some topical steroid to put on there, easy. And mom turns to dad and says, show him his penis. I, I'm sitting there in the exam room watching this exchange take place. And the dad's like, oh, we don't have to show him that. And mom's like, no, I want you to show him his penis. And I turn and I look to her, and she goes, he has a brain on his penis. 
I'm, I'm baffled at this point. And I turned to the father and I said, by all means, show me his penis. And this is what it looked like. It had all these little variegations on it. And it was one of the most atypical presentations I've ever seen of this disease. You see it here. And this is, recognize that? Wickham stria. Getting a little closer. Wrist flexor surfaces. It's lichen planus. It is uncommon and it is most often seen in middle-aged women. So a two-year-old boy was very different presentation. I wish I had taken pictures, but I don't think the parents would have appreciated me taking pictures of their kid's brainy penis. Uh, anyway, no, 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 no matter what the clinical setting. So, uh, but what do we see? We see these polygon papules, and they're shiny, and they're going to be flat-topped. Sometimes there's going to be a little bit of flake. They're going to be pink, brown, or purple, depending upon, actually, the uh, patient's underlying skin tone. We can see differences. Uh, the Wickham stria, always look in the mouth. Or actually, if you're looking at the genitalia, you can actually see it on the mucosal surfaces of the genitalia, uh, those lacy white lines. Um, it can be very erosive and, uh, and painful. Uh, vaginally, you're going to see desquamation, mucousy discharge, uh, and penile, the papules, uh, usually around the glands. And you can see, as we saw on that one slide, we'll go back a second here. <laughs> you see the stria all over it. So how do we treat it? You hit them with a hard steroid. This is your clobetasol. This is when you use clobetasol in the groin. And there are certain things that you use it for. This would be one of them. Uh, you want to go something strong. You want to hit them hard. I sometimes even give them a, a short burst of oral steroids uh, or even a tapering dose. When I do a tapering dose, I hate using the pre-done Medrol dose packs. Um, I do a tapered dose, 10 milligrams, depending upon the weight of the patient, either 5 milligram or 10 milligram prednisones for a day, for four days, decreased by one Q, four days. So they'll do four for four, three for four, two for four, one for four, and then off, 16 day taper. We can even do that, or I do it as a seven day, uh, four for seven, and then decrease down 28 day taper. I base that on how long they've had the condition. If it's usually uh, a month to two months, I'll do a 16-day taper. If it's been around for a very long time, I hit them on the longer 28-day taper. So, um, and uh, you can actually do intralesional uh, steroids for this, depending upon. Uh, I probably wouldn't, especially in the genitalia, I'd probably do between 2.5 and 5 uh, migs per ml. I wouldn't go anything stronger than that. This is one of the things I hate seeing in the office. You can see huge pustule. You can see several areas that are draining all through here. And it's hydradenitis suppurativa. Why do I hate seeing this in the office? Not because I dislike the patients, not because I don't want to help them, but I know that I can't. There's very little that works for H-sub. Um, 
comedones, red, tender, abscesses, drainage, fistulas, these people, if they have it severe, are miserable. And they've been to 14 other dermatologists in the course of their lives, and they're coming to you hoping for a better answer. Um, frequently, they say that they have ingrown hairs, because where does it present? It presents in the inguinum. It presents in the axilla, uh, inter intertriginous areas uh, under the breasts. And uh, they start in late puberty. Uh, they're usually going to present uh, in their late teens. And it usually hangs around all their life. So um, obesity makes it worse, as with most things. And of course, tight-fitting clothing, anything that's going to irritate that area is going to cause flares. The way I tell my patients, H. suppurativa is kind of like cystic acne, as cystic acne is to your uh, sebaceous glands, uh, this is to your eccrine glands. So it's going to be in the sweat areas. And uh, it's just huge inflammation. So how do we treat it? Um, clean daily with an antibiotic soap. These, areas, these are the areas that you just don't want to get bacteria growing in because things are going to take off there. Um, tetracycline, uh, I use uh, doxy frequently for this, or minocycline. Um, Intralesional steroids for the pustules when they come up. Um, one of the great things for females, uh, make sure that they are on a contraceptive pill and spironolactone. Spironolactone, uh, one of my favorite drugs also used for acne. Um, low dose, 50 to 100 milligrams a day. I always explain to the patient that it is an off-label use of that medication. Uh, now, spironolactone is a... Um, diuretic, but it's a diuretic used to treat, of course, to, to, to treat hypertension, but only in women. You cannot use it in men because of the mild androgen suppression that occurs with it. And so what you want to do is you want to let that patient know, because they're going to go to the pharmacist, and the pharmacist is going to say, oh, so you're being treated for your high blood pressure. Give them the talk before you send them out the door and let them know this is used for high blood pressure, but we are using it for this condition because of its mild androgen suppression. And if we were using it to treat blood pressure, you'd be looking at 200 to 400 milligrams a day. When we're treating it for these conditions, for dermatologic conditions, we usually hit, sit, sit between 50 and 100 milligrams. I start them at 50 and, uh, and go up to 100 later. So um, if it's mild to moderate, I've had some decent results with isotretinoin, uh, doing the six-month course sometimes. I will even keep them on longer. Uh, I've had one HSEP patient that I had on Accutane isotretinoin for almost two years. And uh, they actually got some good clearing. Um, TNF alpha inhibitors, if you can get the insurance to pay for it. Uh, Embrel and Humira work in about 40% of the cases, what they're seeing. And of course, uh, in severe areas, and I've had patients do this, uh, they had one patient recently came to me who had the skin grafts done when she was younger, uh, in her early 20s. She's now in her 50s, and it's coming back in those areas again. So the skin actually changed uh, in those areas. So uh, the excisions don't always work for the lifetime. So, so here we see some skin color changes. You see some moisture, some maceration. You 
can see some erythema. Looks kind of like intertrigo, huh? Lichen sclerosis. You're seeing the atrophy in that area. You can see in that last picture especially, um, we can see that there is uh, atrophy and some hypopigmentation uh, as the skin condenses down. Lichen sclerosis, uh, women are more prone to it than men and postmenopausal more likely. Um, it may appear anywhere on the body, but we usually see it in the genitalia. Uh, and it's shiny and smooth because uh, literally it is, uh, it is atrophying skin. So uh, itching, discomfort, and uh, they may come in complaining of painful intercourse or they may have seen their OBGYN and they're sending them to you. So, um, and why? Uh, idiopathic. Uh, they have pathology and we're idiots. We don't know why. So, you biopsy. Make sure that is what you're looking at, uh, especially uh, if you're unsure and you're, you're, you don't want to just start treating. Um, but usually, if it's not in the genitalia, it's self-limiting. Why does it respond differently in the genitalia? I, I think it just has to do with... Uh, the area being constantly irritated, uh, kind of keeping anything that goes on there uh, longer. Uh, you know, it, it tends to last longer. I tell patients anything that we treat in the genitalia, they really need to, to look at being a little more patient. You know, be patient, patients. It's going to take a little bit of time to get things cleared up down there. So, and uh, how do we treat? Uh, steroids or tecrolimus or pimecromolimus, I never pronounce that word correctly, does not roll off the tongue. Uh, hormones, hormone supplements can help too. This looks kind of similar, just uh, a different presentation. We see some erythema, no flake, no scale, kind of smooth skin. Now we're seeing a little bit of scale there some inflammation, psoriasis. Psoriasis looks very different in the genital region um, because you're not going to have as much scale buildup. It's going to stay moister there. And that's the, my favorite presentation, that first line up there. This fungal infection I've had for years and it just doesn't go away. It doesn't really spread. It sits kind of right there, but it's always there. And it's going to be shiny. You're rarely going to have scale or flake in that area. Um, when you see this and you're thinking psoriasis, look in your typical psoriasis areas. You know, look at the elbows, look at the knees, check behind the ears and the scalp and see what's there. Okay. Oh, jumped ahead. Okay. And of course, inverse psoriasis, difficult to treat, especially if it is limited to just that area. Um, you can do uh, tar <laughs> Preparations, yeah, okay. Um, how many people really use tar on their day-to-day -day practice? Yeah, it's kind of a last resort. I have, I have a few patients that actually respond very well to it, uh, the scalp preps. But other than that, it stains sheets, it stains clothes, it stains skin. Um, they don't really want to use it too much. Normally with these patients, I look for a reason to uh, get them worked up for a biologic. 
you know, find other stuff that's uh, co-committant, find other spots of psoriasis, because if they have it, uh, we can get them on a biologic and that will have a better chance of getting them clear, so. Um, class one, class two steroids, and uh, of course, I have TNF-alpha inhibitors on there or uh, the uh, IL-12 and 23s. So here, that doesn't look pleasant. We've got some erythema all through the area. You've got some inflammation, but you've also got some atrophy going on. That just doesn't look good at all. That's, that's the patient you say, so you've had this for how long? And you came in today? And general cancer. Yes, we do get cancers in the genitalia. We talked earlier that uh, HPV can make us more susceptible to it. Um, but they can be hyperpigmented, uh, have almost a velvety appearance rather than smooth. And uh, they're gonna have this spot that just doesn't heal. It's the same complaint you see elsewhere, but recognize it when it's on the genitalia. Just because it's there doesn't make it different. Um, so what do you do? Um, you biopsy. <laughs> and when you see at SCC, 90% of all vulvar cancers, uh, again, we, we can trace a lot of that back to, uh, to HPV because it's, you know it's not uh, uh, caused by sunlight in those areas in most cases. So, and you can look for uh, extra mammary Paget's disease in that area. And of course, mycosis fungoides uh, quite often seen. And the boanoid papulosis, the, the isolated SCC in situ, we're seeing uh, HPV-related, and uh, it looks exactly the same when we look at it under a microscope. So let's quick cover some genital dermatologic emergencies, and then we'll have a few minutes for questions, and we'll get you guys out on break. Penile strangulation. This guy is going to the ER. <laughs> now, there are various reasons why we see this happen. Um, you know, different cultures uh, will use it for different uh, reasons, but once the blood fills the area and you've got that base cut off, it has no place to go. This is how priapism occurs, basically. So uh, we have to try and remove that device uh, without causing any damage, and you definitely want to refer this person to a urologist. Um, as I said, this is best, uh, you just send them straight on off to the ER, say, okay, yep, nope, not your skin, bye. That's a big hole. Fourniers gangrene. Remember, when we have co-committant infections, sometimes uh, you can get some necrotizing fasciitis in that area. Uh, secondary two, trauma, malignancy, H. suppurativa. They are more predisposed to it. This is why we clean that area in H. sup patients with antibacterial soaps, okay? Immunocompromised patients, always at a higher risk of this. Uh, is it gonna hurt? Yeah a little, these patients are gonna to come to you barely able to walk. And uh, again, you're gonna get 
what, what's the, you know, when we get gangrene, Fournier's gas gangrene, what is the, the number one sign? It crunches when you push on it. You know, you get that crepitus because of the gas buildup in there. And uh, then it'll turn into the purulent discharge, obvious gangrene. So how do we uh, treat these patients? Um, you know, look for it. Even if you, you know, listen for the crepitus, uh, you know, that was an extreme case that I showed in the photo, but early on, it's just gonna be some erythema and it's gonna be some pain. And you're gonna press and you're gonna hear the crackle, uh, you're gonna have the pain, you're gonna have the lymphadenopathy. Uh, you do a punch because that's gonna differentiate it. You're gonna have that thickness of skin to see that it is in the fascia instead of just uh, within the skin. It's not just cellulitis. Uh, clindamycin gives us the best results for this. So, and they're gonna have to go to surgery to get, uh, uh, get debrided. This is something uh, you can see quite a bit in practice. And uh, I saw it twice when I used to do uh, ER. And these are bite wounds. Because, <laughs> well, that occasionally happens in that area. And the bite can get easily infected. Was it the human mouth is the, the dirtiest of, of any of the animals on the planet? Uh, we carry more bacteria that can harm us than, uh, uh, than a dog bite or a cat bite does. So um, you check for damage to functional structures, number one. If there is, we send them off to the uh, urologist or uh, to an OB-GYN. Uh, debridement and uh, irrigate. Get that area clean and then we start using uh, some antibiotics, amoxicillin uh, plus clinuvate and a second generation cephalosporin to cover everything that can be uh, seen in a bite. And yeah, you normally don't see them initially. They're not gonna come in and say, you know, I, I got bit down there. Uh, not usually to you. If they're gonna be that forthright, they're gonna show up to the ER to the quick care like that. Um, normally we see them after Oh, you know, it's supposed to be healed, or it started healing and just doesn't quite go away. So uh, you may also want to check their tetanus status. That is my lecture. So thank you for bearing with me uh, getting through this. Do I have any questions? Yes. How long do I leave my, my hydradenitis patients on aldactone before I start getting results? Usually I will leave them on, well, if I'm gonna get results, I'm gonna get results in the first three months of treatment, once I've got, once I've got the dose tweaked. So I've gone as high as 150, but um, usually not much higher than that, and if I'm not seeing results in three months, it's probably not gonna work for them. I do 50. I do 50 and I bring them back once a month. So, so if I start them off at 50, bring them back one month later, if they are not seeing good results, I'll up them to 100 and then the third month up them to 150 and that's pretty much where I max it out. So, thank you. Uh, in the back. Actually, I'll do an initial potassium level uh, and then one follow up two months later. And if they're steady at that point, I'm not worried. 
So they're, they're usually being followed by their primaries also for other things. I just tell them when, they, when their primaries do a blood draw, ch check their potassium. And if they're experiencing any of the symptoms, uh, you know, the, the muscle aches, the cramps, the, the, the pains, uh, fasciculations, stop taking the medication and, and come see me. Yes. I, I actually only have 1.0 in the office. I don't use 0.7. Um, I use the 1.0. I use the, when I put this on a molluscum, I use the stick end of a cotton-tipped applicator. Okay, I don't use the cotton end. I use just the stick end. So just a little tiny dab. And I tell them, leave it on for an hour and then wash it off with soap and water. Yes. Yes. Okay. And actually, uh, uh, the HPV immunization, I do encourage my patients to get it. I have not seen the, the, the results on the studies that uh, are using it for treatment, though. So. So 60, the, the, what Renee was saying is that she's seen a study where, uh, and has seen it happen, where a man who was immunized with the HPV vaccine, uh, well, the studies had 60% 6, of the patients get clearance uh, with the vaccine. So uh, that, that is encouraging. Uh, like to see it on a larger scale, though. So, yeah. Anyone else? All right, seeing none. Oh, I have one in the back. And, and using, using the retinoids, what she's asking is, have, have I had good results using retinoids for molluscum? I actually have had some pretty good uh, results using the topical retinoids for molluscum, but not in the genital area. Um, if you put it on a genital, and I had a kid come in with, the, that's what their pediatrician had started them on. And oh my gosh, the kid was just red and inflamed and miserable. So uh, his, his molluscum was gone. <laughs> But uh, he, he had this co-committant erythema, so. Yes. I have several patients on Remicade, but not HSUP patients. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think there's actually, there's, there's a couple of, uh, of small studies, mostly anecdotal evidence out there. Um, I don't think that the, this is using, uh, using the biologics, uh, the TNF uh, alpha inhibitors in particular, to, to treat hydradenitis suppurativa. Um, there's not anything big, uh, there's no large-scale clinical study going on because it is such an uh, uncommon uh, disease presentation. Um, I think there's two reasons uh, behind that. One, um, hard to really gather a large enough cohort to see 
a good outcome, but secondly, um, there's not a lot of money in it for the drug companies. And uh, unfortunately, when our, our, most of our research is, is driven by our, our drug company sponsors, um, they're going to look for profit. So, all right. Anyone else? Oh, sir. Right, and, and talking about obesity and hidradenitis, um, have I had good luck getting pa patients uh, persuaded to uh, to do lifestyle change and uh, and diet modification? And uh, actually, uh, generally not. Um, they have to be pretty far advanced uh, because most of these patients, you know, I mean, you know them now. They now they have access to the internet and they've been online and they know that their weight that their obesity is a strong contributor. So if they thought that that was gonna change them, sometimes, you know, I, I always bring it up. I always make mention of that. You do realize that your weight is contributing to the problem. And I do that with psoriasis patients as well. So, you know, I make them aware of that. Um, but the patient usually uh, would take the initiative before they come on in. You know, this is uh, my feeling on it, but I, I don't, I, don't hesitate to bring it up and make sure that they are aware of that, that this is, you know, in order to treat this disease best, they may have to make several changes, not just, uh, I, ha I have no magic wand or magic pill, yeah. All right, thank you. Excellent. Did everybody get that? Vitone cream for intertrigo. Uh, BID dosing, it is a non-branded now. Non-branded is a generic. What's it? Iodoquinol. Uh -huh. hydrocortisone. So, all right. Well, thank you all for your attention.